the History Channel original podcast. This is just a hunch, but you've probably done a late night run to Taco Bell. Maybe you were out with your friends, just left a football game or a bar, and you're looking for something familiar, something crunchy, something you just know will hit the spot. I spent a lot of time at Taco Bell late at night in my early 20s with friends uh, after we had gone out to clubs or to parties. When you're out late and you are with your friends and you're looking for something to eat, is there any better place than Taco Bell? There's something about that crunchy, salty, spicy experience that you can only truly enjoy when you've been at a bar until 2 a.m. They've got the soft tacos, the crunchy tacos, and now they've just combined them all together. And you can get them all in a gordita, a chalupa, the Mexican pizza. It's one of the reasons Taco Bell is a giant of the fast food industry. I think they're, you know, if if we're comparing them to like the Greek gods, if like McDonald's is Zeus, um, what's the god of chaos? Um, Loki, maybe? I think Taco Bell could be Loki. So how did this late-night favorite scale its way to the top of the fast food chain? And how did tacos, a food brought to the United States by immigrants, find their way into an industry dominated by hamburgers? This is The Food That Built America. Stories of innovation, taste, and good eats. Today, we'll tell the tale of how tacos entered the mainstream and stayed there, and how the fast food franchise Frenzy gave way to a restaurant that broke the mold. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. Before there was late night dining or Taco Bell, there were hamburgers, lots and lots of hamburgers. The 1950s saw a fast food gold rush, particularly in California. You had In-N-Out, Jack in the Box, and of course McDonald's, which ran at the front of the pack. This was in part because of McDonald's assembly line method of food preparation something the company really pioneered. It put pressure on the industry to create new kinds of food, fast. Americans were hungry for quick, convenient meals, says journalist Hadley Mayers. And so fast food was the perfect option for lower and working and middle-class folks trying to live the American dream during the 1940s and 50s. A small entrepreneur named Glenn Bell was watching all of this go down from his home in San Bernardino, California. Bell was inspired. He'd been operating a small burger shack in the county and had ambitions to be the next Ray Kroc of McDonald's. Glenn Bell was born into a family that struggled with money from uh, the very beginning. They actually had quite a wealthy family on his mother's side, but his father was kind of a near-do-well, didn't take care of the family. The mother had to scrimp and save. Bell was born in 1923, and in the early years of his life, he went through kind of a lot. When he was four years old, his family moved from Southern California to an Oregon farm, and then back to California when he was 10. As a preteen, Bell lived in the San Bernardino, California area. And it's the depression, and it's really, really hard, and there's food insecurity. And during the summers, he would literally ride the rails, searching for work and opportunities. And while he was doing that, he said that he recognized that, you know, somebody with no money would spend their last cent on a hamburger, on comfort food, on something that made them feel better. He never forgot that image. In 1943, at age 19, he joined the Marines and served in World War II. Then he came back home to San Bernardino. 
So Glenn Bell builds his first hamburger stand by hand, by himself. He said he did such a good job that people saw him working on the building and started offering him construction jobs. So he was a very crafty guy and he just was willing to work, you know, 14 hours a day to make this happen and to do it on his own self-sufficiently. Like I said, the guy had some serious ambition. For whatever reason, Bell was really driven to make a name for himself in the hamburger world. And Glenn Bell sees this and says, I can do this. I can start my own burger stand. I can go into it for myself, by myself, and live my version of the American dream. But when Bell came back to the fast food game, he found a challenge. The market was overcrowded. Everyone wanted to be McDonald's. And so now Bell decided he wanted to be different. Then food historian Jason Liebig says, Bell had an aha moment. He looked around San Bernardino, which had a huge Mexican-American population, and he decided to take advantage. Southern California was a Spanish and Mexican territory long before it was an American territory. And there had been amazing Mexican cuisine that was being made in Southern California for literally centuries before Glenn Bell came along. Bell starts paying attention to this place across the street called Midla Cafe serve some pretty stellar fried tacos. And he loved these fried tacos, and he loved them so much that he started kind of poking around and asking the folks at the cafe how they made them and watching them make them and wondering how he could perfect this and differentiate his burger stand from McDonald's. And those tacos at Midla Cafe gave Bell an idea. And he sees the taco to become, you know, this sort of Mexican hamburger, essentially. He sees, he sees this idea that he could be selling tacos to all of America and just the way they're eating burgers. He said, I bet I could sell them tacos as well. When Bell decided to start selling tacos, he was taking up a popular food tradition that went back centuries. The history of the taco in the United States goes back to the early 1900s when it was introduced here by Mexican railway workers. This is Mireya Losa an associate history professor at Georgetown University. Tacos were also considered a kind of street food. And some people say that the taco became popular really because of miners and mining towns in Mexico, and that taco is basically the name of a tiny little wrapped-up explosive that they placed in, you know, cavernous areas in mines. But Losa thinks tacos may date back as far as the early Aztecs way before the Spanish arrival and conquest of Mexico, the beginning of the 16th century. I am of the mindset that I actually think that the ta taco, um, the recognition that the taco is really pre-Hispanic. So Aztecs had a word for half, which is tlaco. And the tortilla, basically when you make a taco, you place the filling in half, in the half center part of it. And so... Some folks believe that that is the original root of the word taco. In any case, by the 1950s, Mexican communities in the Southwest United States knew, loved, and made tacos. But most white Americans had never eaten one. So, I mean, even though people might, might have ventured into a Spanish restaurant and really uh, attempted to explore Mexican cuisine through these Spanish restaurants and tried something like 
chile con carne or tried chile con carne in a street cart, say in San Antonio or Los Angeles, uh, the taco didn't reign supreme until much later. When Bell stumbled onto tacos in San Bernardino, his frame of reference as a white American was still the hamburger. So one of the actually very revolutionary things that Glenn Bell does is he's looking at this taco and he's saying, this is a lot like an American hamburger. So he's thinking, you know, the taco shell, that's like the bun. The meat, that's like the patty. The cheese, cheese goes on top of hamburgers. A little lettuce, a little tomato, a little sauces. So he's really reformatting the taco into something that can become as ubiquitous as the hamburger is in America. Now he'd just have to sell the idea. And Glenn Bell, one of his big jobs, if he was going to pull off what he wanted to pull off, was figuring out a way to sell this to the people who had never heard of it before. People, even the word taco seemed foreign. He was up against a big hurdle. A lot of Americans ate really bland, unspiced food. They had this idea that Mexican food was too spicy. Boy, were they missing out. It's really interesting. In mid-century America, the taste buds were very bland. If you look at what was considered great food during that era of American history, it's a lot of kind of heavy meatloafs, heavy kind of tasteless sauces, jello molds, things that they thought were kind of hot French cuisine, but were really just kind of bland, tasteless things. So Bell took the flavorful tacos he'd eaten in San Bernardino and dumbed them down a little bit, Liebig says. He was almost selling tacos to America the way you would sell food to like a five-year-old. Oh, it's all the things you love, but it's just in this unfamiliar shape. Don't be afraid. First, Bell changed the seasoning so white Americans could handle it. He seasoned his ground beef with chili powder, garlic, and that's it. It's really just a modified version of a chili sauce that he did add a few little extra spices to give it a kick. So to balance the spices, he adds cheeseburger toppings, lettuce, tomato, and cheddar cheese. Remember, this was Bell's vision of the taco, a taco hamburger. Instead of using a soft tortilla, Bell decides to use a crunchy corn shell. By the time Bell was done with his taco, it really did not look like a traditional taco. Here's Valerie Lomas, author of Life is What You Bake It. Taco Bell isn't trying to be authentic Mexican cuisine, but they've almost created their own genre of cuisine. But there was a catch. While Bell had his eye trained on his burger empire, he lost sight of his own family. He was, for lack of a better term, a workaholic. Bell is a very kind of restless spirit, and he goes through a lot of different jobs after the service. And, you know, he even buys a truck and is carting around adobe bricks, you know, for five cents a brick. He's, he's doing all these different jobs and not anything's really sticking because what he was at heart was an entrepreneur and an innovator. And he wanted to work for himself. He wanted something of his own. The business and Bell's drive to succeed took time away from his wife and kids. And uh, the final straw is when he doesn't show up for their son's birthday party, and she just says, I don't want to live that way. So Bell ended up divorced. And in the process, his wife took the house, custody of the kids, and Bell's beloved burger stand. Brutal. 
but Bell took the loss in stride. And Glenn Bell, who kind of has this almost obsessive compulsion to start over, he loves to build things up from the ground floor. He gives her the hamburger stand and he says, okay, I'm on my own now, let's go. Now that Bell developed his spin on the taco, he was ready to take it to market. But there was a challenge. Because he had debts, no bank loan officer was willing to give him money. Plus, the banks weren't convinced a Mexican-themed restaurant selling tacos was a sure bet. So in the 50s, you know, nowadays we take Mexican food for granted. It is part of American culture. But in the 50s, Mexican food wasn't something most people had ever had. Even in the Southwest, where people were familiar with it, it was still considered more of an immigrant food, more of something you might try. And so it was, it was scary for people. It was unfamiliar. But Bell had another option up his sleeve, a private investor. So not only does he need to figure out how to sell this to consumers, to you sort of Joe Blow American consumer, he's got to figure out how to get people to fund, you know, to back his restaurant. So Glenn Bell went to a man named Al McDonald. No relation to the McDonald brothers. Al was an older friend of Bell's who owned a variety store in South San Bernardino. He agreed to invest in Bell's new restaurant as long as he could be an equal partner. As the story goes, the tacos sold themselves. Now McDonald, he tastes them, they're delicious, he buys in. McDonald was in. A couple of months later, in 1954, Bell opened his first fast food restaurant. It's called Taco Tia. Bell talks about initially, you know, he had the tacos on the menu the first day and nobody was really buying them. But then this one man, a businessman, came up and said, oh, I want one of those tacos, and he said it incorrectly. And uh, he gave it to him, and he said the taco juice dripped all down the man's business suit, and he thought, oh, no, this guy's going to hate it. He's going to be so mad I've ruined his suit. Uh, But the man loved it and said, that was really good. Give me another. So pretty quickly, this taco starts to catch on with folks who are maybe getting tired of these ubiquitous hamburger stands on every single corner in San Bernardino. And that was it. The stand became popular almost instantly. But if there's anything we know about Bell, it's that he wasn't going to stop and smell the roses. He still wanted to be McDonald's. In other words, he wanted to franchise. But Al McDonald didn't want that. You see this time and time again in Glenn Bell. He has this very kind of restless, almost manic spirit to keep getting bigger and keep growing and doing new things. And McDonald is like, no, slow down. I like it the way it is. I'm making a good living with Taco Tia the way it is. And Bell really wants to franchise and expand and kind of go for broke. And McDonald is much more cautious. The two were equal partners, so Bell couldn't just go off on his own. Eventually, the dispute led the partnership to fall apart. And Bell sold his portion of the restaurant to McDonald. He was back at square one. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. 
LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Back at square one, Bell realized he didn't need Al McDonald. He could strike out on his own. He started saving money for his next big venture, this time consulting other business owners to get some tips on opening a new restaurant. His next move was a shop called El Taco in Los Angeles. He opened it with a group of investors, some of whom were LA Rams players. But like with some of his other projects, Bell turned his attention elsewhere. He sold his interest in the chain back to the partners. And then in 1962, Bell opened his first solo venture in Downey, California. He named it after himself and called it Taco Bell. Finally. So Grin Bell's menu is very, very light for the first Taco Bell. There are only five items on the menu. So it's tacos, burritos, tostadas, refried beans, and a chili burger. And a tostada is just an open-faced taco. Not everything on the menu was really all that appetizing. Yeah, the chili burger sounds disgusting. The chili burger was just basically taco meat on a bun with cheese. But that wasn't Bell's biggest issue. And so he's facing pretty stiff competition, and he has to really make Taco Bell unique and stand out so that he can beat, basically, his own game that he's started. Bell needed a way to make his business stand out. He thought about McDonald's and their golden arches. Glenn Bell's a showman. He loves Disneyland. He wanted to and for a while own putt-putt golf courses. So he really ran with the Southern California ethos of kind of this Hollywood... A style of opening and business. So his first Taco Bell is actually in a complex he called Plaza Guadalajara, which was themed as a white person's version of what a Mexican village would have looked like. Taco Bell was just a stand done in that iconic mission style, faux mission style, that we still think of when we think of Taco Bell to this day. Actually, the look hasn't really changed in the last several decades. Faux mission-style architecture has been a Southern California staple since the Victorian era. It would have been something Glenn Bell grew up seeing his entire life. And so he knew that a great kind of way to capture people's imagination and to kind of appropriate some Mexican-American culture was to build these mission-like uh, storefronts that housed his fast food stands that were very Americanized. So he makes sure that every early Taco Bell is done in this faux mission style. The restaurant and its appropriative decor was a real success. People loved it. So Bell expanded throughout Southern California, just as he'd wanted to when he ran Taco Tia. But that would require convincing more white Americans that tacos were okay. They wanted to have what was considered an American restaurant. So I think a lot of people thought, why would I go into this Americanized Mexican food? Uh, I'll just open a hot dog stand or a burger stand. Some things didn't change. Investors were still hesitant to take on a Mexican-inspired restaurant chain. 
1965, Bell turned to someone else. A man named Kermit Beck, a 17-year veteran officer with the Los Angeles Police Department. Beck had absolutely no fast food industry experience. He was a really unconventional pick for a taco partner, but Bell saw some potential in him. The whole thing was a little unconventional, including the assignment Bell gave Beck. So he's going to make his first franchise seem like a nonstop moneymaker. And he does everything he can to make sure his, his sort of model franchise is just looks like when you sign on, it's a gold rush. And it works. Optics were everything. Beck made it look like owning a Taco Bell could make you filthy rich. Oh, and he would need an opulent opening for the first franchise in 1965 in Torrance, California. So Glenn Bell made sure that Kermit's franchise had a massive grand opening. So there were mariachi bands, there was free food, there was uh, laughter and happiness and balloons and all of that stuff. And Bell personally supervised this, right? And it became such a huge success, this grand opening, that it actually extended to the next day because so many people were coming into the Taco Bell to enjoy the food and to enjoy this kind of fun, family-friendly atmosphere that he had created. Meanwhile, Beck spent his money, big time, on a Cadillac, and even a boat called Taco Bell, Bell with an E at the end. This is all great for Glenn Bell because it's getting people to start thinking, hey, Kermit is making a killing on one restaurant. I want to get in on this opportunity with Glenn Bell and Taco Bell. It sounds crazy, but it worked. It works almost too well. Like, so his phone is ringing off the wall. The guy is fielding so many calls, he can't keep up with it. And now it's a question of, okay, obviously people want to do this, but we got to figure out how to do it. Suddenly, everyone wanted a Taco Bell franchise. By 1967, Taco Bell had 100 restaurants. He's working seven days a week. He's answering phones. He's talking to franchisees. He's making sure that everything's uniform and perfect. Plus, he was making money from the franchisees, essentially to pay for more franchises. So he's constantly going from one thing to another, and it's really all becoming a house of cards that is staying together very precariously, Basically, it's staying together on the force of his personality and his excitement and vision. But there was a downside to all the rushing. Bell ended up in debt. He was risking failure, this time for a third time. And so Bell is constantly sinking money into all these different franchises, constantly seeding money into Taco Bell, and all of the franchisees are getting rich and Bell is not. Desperate for a solution, Bell needed a final card to play. He told his franchisees the best way to boost sales was to keep the restaurants open until 11 p.m. And with that big idea, Bell would launch the company into pop cultural icon status. He kept his restaurants open till 11 p.m. across 100 locations. And this is a revolutionary idea at the time because usually fast food was seen as something you took your kids to and enjoyed as a family meal for lunch or dinner. But with this late night opening, not only are you gonna make more money, you're also attracting a new clientele and you're really changing the whole culture around what fast food means. The late night model is still a huge part of Taco Bell's appeal. And it's a huge part of their advertising. 
I mean, most of today, such a huge part of the clientele at fast food restaurants are those late night, all night customers. I mean, I think we've all had too much to drink and uh, had our DD drive us through a Taco Bell at like one in the morning and get a ton of yummy comfort food. So it really is something that completely shifted the idea of what fast food meant to Americans. The real twist, Bell's idea to stay open late inspired his rivals, including his arch rival, McDonald's. Bell would end up leading the game. Glenn Bell helped create that food wasn't just a means to an end. It wasn't just fuel. It was something that was a shared, enjoyable experience. And it was a treat. And it was something that it might not be the best thing for you, but it was yummy and it made you feel good. And I think that goes back a little bit to his depression era, food insecurity roots. If he saw from the beginning that food could really be something that was comforting and exciting and made you happy and not just something you ate to survive. Now Taco Bell has nearly 8,000 stores worldwide. It's transformed fast food. But Bell's legacy is complicated. He was a total innovator. He introduced many Americans to something new. For better or worse, Taco Bell was the first, you know, fast food brand that had a Mexican theme in America. So that defined what Mexican food was for a lot of Americans. But he also made his fortune on lifting an idea from Mexican immigrants. It was an Americanized version of Mexican food. And he adopted a lot of what he believed were aspects of Mexican culture to sell this very white American brand. And so it really invites a conversation into, you know, what does this mean for Mexican-Americans and for Latinx people, that so many people believe that Mexican food is Glenn Bell's version of Mexican food. If you like this podcast, then you'll love watching the Food That Built America TV series on the History Channel. Go to history.com to find out how you can watch the Food That Built America today. The Food That Built America is hosted by me, Jonathan Hirsch. At the History Channel, our executive producers are Jesse Katz, Mary Donahue, and Jim Pascarella. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn. From Neon Hum Media, our executive producer is me. The series is produced by Muna Danish and Kate Mishkin. Our associate producers are Chloe Chobel and Rufaro Faith. Our editor is Maura Waltz. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Alexis Martinez is our podcast coordinator. Sam Baer and Josh Hahn are our mix engineers. Music from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound, and fact-checking by Naomi Barr. The Food That Built America was originally produced by Lucky 8 TV for the History Channel.